Welcome to the Royals Rundown Podcast, a Kansas City Royals podcast presented by Royals Review. I am Jake Milham, joined by Jeremy Greco, as always. Jeremy, before we introduce our guest, how are you feeling tonight, man? Uh, you know, I am at my first full week of work mm. for the first time since mm. a little bit before Christmas, if we're being honest, which maybe I shouldn't be that honest, but uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm I'm tired. It's been a long week. Yeah. It's a, I've already put in three days of work. Isn't the weekend supposed to come now? Isn't that, is that how that I, works? Three, three whole days is just, uh, that's too many already. Uh, one or two, I think. Top, too really. much. Too much. Well, hey, we're here to talk about, uh, we're here to talk about Kansas City Royals baseball, not, uh, not labor practices in yeah. the, uh, in the work week. So if you want to keep updated on the Kansas City Royals, you got to go visit RoyalsReview.com. You can also find them on X and on Facebook at Royals Review. You can support the podcast further by following us on X, not Twitter, at Royal Rundown Pod. But if you want to engage with us and want to make your voice heard, the best way to do that is check out our polls and Q&As on Spotify. Each week, we give you a chance to answer our questions, and we will read your responses on air in the following episode. So in our last episode, which was just with Preston Farr earlier on this week, um, thank you again, Preston, for coming on with us. We asked you, the listeners, who is your favorite prospect in the Royal system right now? A, a lot of good choices and a lot of good choices that Preston brought up for that title. Let's go and run through our responses. Isom Benson said Tyler Gentry and Carson Rockefert are his choices. Gotta love that. Friend of the podcast, Lux, said my alter ego, Frank Mazzucato. I, uh... I, I I don't I don't put you two together there, Lux. I will say that, but I haven't seen you two in the same room, so that's something. Royal Rupert said, "Pitcher Cooper McKeon, and then hitter River Town." I will say that River Town has a uh, has an eighty grade name in the Royal system. I will say that, and then Steve said, "Will Klein." Will will hopefully be making his MLB debut at some point this year. A very exciting prospect. All right, y'all, let's get to our very special guest. We've uh, we've been talking about him for weeks, and that this episode is finally here. He is a senior writer over at Fangraphs, the one and only Dan Zimborski. Dan, how are we doing tonight, man? We're doing well. Uh, well you, you mentioned Rivertown, which gives me uh, uh, some memories that aren't related at all to the player called Middle Rivertown. <laughs> uh, when I was a kid, uh, there was a local kind of a Chuck E. Cheese variant place in in baltimore called rivertown which had all the stuff it had the animatronic kind of had an animatronic uh antebellum south dog band playing uh bluegrass and a lot of video games including this game called world series baseball in the 80s uh which was not licensed in any way uh but so when you say (laughs) rivertown i think of those memories uh the animatronic still lives on, even though the company went out of business a long time ago. Uh, apparently, it was they were adopted by a company in England who hmm. are displaying it. Uh, Dan, I, I ain't gonna lie that that kind of sounds terrifying. If uh, I liked if I it as a prank. kid, but you know <laughs> when it's it's fun to see dogs playing washboard, you know the washboard and all the various and the blowing on the jugs. Those are fun things as a kid. They weren't that scary. They were just just big, friendly robot dogs. Not like I, I think people uh, are thinking of the five night at five nights at Freddy's mm, did yeah, not exist that now. time. Uh, and that's done for animatronic animals. What a lot of media has done for clowns over the last thirty years. Yeah, that's uh, that's true. I I did like that movie. Did Did you see it, Dan? The Five Nights at Freddy's. I did not. Uh, I I I'm aware of it. But I'm not really into jump scare games, so I never really got into it. Fair enough. Yeah, fair enough. I'm I'm right there with you. I'm glad I'm glad to have a fellow jump scare avoider on this uh, podcast with us today. I'd there's a long pause for a very poor word choice, but we're we're gonna move on. Yeah, that we are. That we are. Uh, Dan, first off, thank you, thank you so much for for joining us tonight. Thank you for coordinating with Jeremy to to get on the pod. Um, Jeremy, before you you start with the questions, Dan, do you mind telling our listeners if they have no clue who you are? Can you just give them a little uh, little short bio? 
Well, here's the thing. Given some of the projections for the Royals over the years, uh, yeah. it's usually best to keep people not knowing who I am. Uh, <laughs> because once they know who I am, yeah. they're going to decide that they don't like me, which is <laughs> which is an unfortunate situation for a writer to be in. Uh, I'm I'm the developer of what you might have seen at Fangraphs as it was projection system, uh, which I developed, you know, 20 years ago, I kind of started it. It's a work in progress because there's a lot more data available now, a lot more uh, computing power available now. Uh, Zips today would not even run on my computer in 2004. In, th in fact, I think it would have taken up most of the hard drive uh, if, if my timeline is correct. Uh, so, and I've been a writer for a long time. Uh, most people know me from either Fangraphs or ESPN, uh, where I was for 2010 to 2018 exclusively. Uh, now I'm in Fangraphs and I uh, I do a lot of projection stuff and I do a lot of getting mad at baseball things and writing words and hoping that the people who are also mad are mad in the same direction as me. Uh, but you, you know how it is when you're a writer. Uh, there's no purpose in writing unless someone gets mad. <laughs> I've definitely noticed that. I'll write one article that's like, oh, the Royals might be good and, and i'll have people going oh, that's not possible and then i'll write another one that says i think the rules are actually pretty bad and they go no they're actually good so you're absolutely right there's just there's no winning if 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 someone's not angry you didn't write anything yeah except maybe like you know like instruction manuals i don't want to buy like a stand-on mixer and have it be make me very angry I, i've definitely gotten mad at instruction manuals i'm not gonna lie i don't think that's intended though but um <laughs> the uh I guess that people assume that I'm notorious, like I have a special hate for the uh, Royals simply because I made a lot of Dayton Moore cartoons and MS Paint over the last 15 years or so. So good. Uh, he was always kind of fun to draw uh, in my childish uh, MS Paint quality, uh, which actually <laughs> which actually reflects me actually trying to draw. Uh, people think it's kind of aping the style of a five-year-old, but I actually just draw like a five-year-old. Oh, okay. So you, you come by it honestly, at least. Yeah, it's not ironic drawing. That's 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 how I actually draw. It's it's sad. <laughs> it happens. So you said you created the, the the zips, or at least the proto zips, uh, about twenty years ago. So can you tell us a little bit about uh, what got you into baseball analytics and what led to the creation of zips? And and was that before or after you were kind of into the writing aspect and how did that how did those mix uh well i i started off i mean i was a huge baseball fan as a child and i was a huge reader as a child uh so my grandfather uh pretty much aggressively got me uh books to read in the 80s about baseball and so as a kid i was born in 1978 as a kid i read a lot of, i read pretty much all the baseball abstracts except the first few uh the elias baseball analysts uh palmer thorn hidden game of baseball so i read all that as a little kid so i was always very baseball nerdery inclined uh in the mid 90s i got involved in usenet which no one will remember unless they're at least like my age uh it was kind of what twitter was if twitter was a technologically difficult method that mostly people in college used. Uh, and that's kind of where a lot of the internet sabermetric community came from. Most of the baseball prospectus people, Sean Foreman, Versh, McCracken, all those people, we were all kind of yelling at each other on Usenet and being mean to web TV users, uh, which, which was a thing. There was a lot of, there was a lot of mean snindness towards people who had their, their TV as a computer. <laughs> Uh, which, which, I mean, th those lines have been blurred over the years. Uh, but you see, uh, we would make fun of first the AOL users, then the web TV users, because it seemed like a downside. But anyway, I digress. Uh, so I was, I was involved in the sabermetric community for a long time. Uh, in in two thousand one, Sean Foreman asked me to write for a new site they were launching called Baseball Think Factory, Baseball Primer, for the first couple years. Uh, and so I wrote for them, and I, I. I was interested in projections since the mid nineties, uh, a fellow and early collaborator of mine named Chris dial, who's a good friend. He, he was one of on the board of Sabre for several years. He was kind of the guy who spearheaded the Rawlings 
saber gold glove award changes uh mm. we talked all we talked at first about doing kind of a basic projection system kind of what tom tango did later with marcel never got back to it and then as i was starting to write in 2001 2002 i kind of wanted to revisit that idea and then one thing led to another and uh it the projections kind of worked as well as projections can work uh, to my surprise and after moneyball hit everybody kind of became employable uh, and, and so, you know, one thing led to another and I have a very weird career now. I, I love that, that, uh, you were, you kind of were ahead of the game of the money ball and then yeah, kind of so wrote it, wrote people it People always like, were you like, were you smarter than everyone? Like, no, I just got in on the ground floor and, and hung around people who were smarter than me. And, and people assumed that it kind of rubbed off. I, I gotta find, uh, I gotta find maybe a new podcast co-host i gotta find someone smarter than me jacob wow well i mean you know what it's the the bar's pretty low, bar's pretty low Jeremy. <laughs> I, will, I, I, I will say that <laughs> so okay so the projection system i know that uh we're not supposed to just look at the projected wars and be like <laughs> oh yeah this this means this is what's going to happen and and these are the number of wins that the team's going to get but as fans when we look at these these zips projections what what can we take away from it? I, I think generally the the player projections are easier to interpret. Uh, I've been doing more and more to post kind of percentile data for people so they can kind of get the range of expectation, which is very wide, as you might notice when you look at 80th versus 20th percentiles. And yeah. even, with, even with those wide numbers, it's still only 60% confident that it'll be between those numbers. Uh, uh, the, the, the problems and why I always get a little grumpy about on the team level is because when i simulate teams for a season i'm not just taking all zip doesn't just take all the median projections and throw them all together and count the war uh i i, I did a lot of, i've done a lot of work in an effort to try to better express a team's depth uh in which case zip sips zips sims a million years and there's a and each player has a distribution of plate appearances that are possible within a season. So some seasons, you know, X player will be fully healthy. Some seasons they'll be, you know, out for the year with an injury and zips will fill in the at bats from players farther down in the depth chart. So uh, that kind of thing, the idea is to get a little more accurate for certain kinds of teams. Uh, for instance, zips tends to like the Rays and Cardinals better. Uh, because in most years, not so much last year for the Cardinals, uh, those teams tend to have very good depth and less downside uh, so that when they lose players, they can fill them in. While Zips tends to be lower on, say, the Mets, especially during the Fred Wilpon era, uh, Fred <laughs> Jeff Wilpon era, uh, because the Mets always had this tendency to have a team that looked great if everybody stayed healthy and nothing went wrong. And then like a complete train wreck, the second anyone got injured. Uh, so when you add up the war like that, you don't necessarily get a true estimate of exactly where a team is. Uh, so I try to discourage people from doing that because if I don't, then people will say zip says this. And then, and then I have to say, no, that's not what zip says. So, <laughs> see, now I can just, I can just refer people to a threat of violence in the Fangraphs uh, page. Actually, Carson yeah. Sestilli wrote that threat of violence when he was the editor and I was working for ESPN still. But I decided to keep that threat. Fair. Because any good threat has to be maintained consistently. Of course. Absolutely. Um, one of the things that I loved, quote unquote, uh, in, the, uh, in your Royal Zips projections that you had this year was that the relievers as a group you projected for negative 0.1 war um which is just insane you, <laughs> you you said in the article that you'd never seen that or you had you didn't know how long it had been since you'd seen that have you been able to do any research to figure out how long it's been since a, a team had a position group do that yeah i went through a bunch of the old depth chart graphics uh unfortunately i didn't really archive the zips rundown simply because they come at different times of the off season for different teams. And it's not really a useful kind of comparison tool. Mm -hmm. uh, but I did find a Rockies year a while ago uh, when, when they had that. Uh, and of course 
as people know, if I'm not being mean to the Rockies, I'm probably being mean to the Royals. I mean, <laughs> other way around, but still, yeah. Why not um, both? Why not both? It's, yeah, it's you can do both. Ro names. But I, I, no. I, I try to spread. Well, generally speaking, at some point, I will be accused of hating every team in baseball. Kind of right. the the Keith Law principle, I think, yes. is is what yes. I call that. Uh, so I, I. I when I'm really tough on a team, it's really because I don't think they're run all that well. And when a team is run better, then I will be a lot more positive about it. I was extremely negative about the Orioles during their previous uh, administration, the, the late Dan Duquette years, ex- excuse me, Jim, when Jim Duquette was there uh, and when Flanagan was there, uh, I, I, I thought it was a pretty poorly run franchise and I've been a lot nicer to you know the current Orioles, even when they've had poor seasons, because I think they've generally been better run in in recent years. Uh, now the the owner is another case, but we don't need to get into that since this is a Royals podcast, yeah. not an Orioles podcast. Uh, but generally speaking, I I try to be fair. I just don't really think the Royals or Rockies are particularly well run. Yeah, that's uh, history doesn't say so. <laughs> Damn, history kind of sides with you there. Uh, yeah, that would I would love to pick your brain about the Baltimore ownership situation, but that is that is for another time, because I I don't know if you know this, Dan. I'm actually um, in Hampton Roads, Virginia, where the tides are, uh, so I have a very very close connection to the to the Orioles. I I will say. My my wife is a raging Phillies fan. And, uh, and she <laughs> loves to remind me that they are that they are well run. Dan, can you please um, can you please tell my wife that they're not well run for the most part? They just like to throw money at the problem. I don't think they're terribly run. I think they're kind of average ish. Average. The thing about the, the Phillies is. Uh, they do target a lot of their free agent acquisitions very well, uh, but they have to kind of lose credit from the farm system during their rebuild because they didn't really get a ton from that farm system. Uh, if if you compare, because the Phillies and Braves kind of rebuilt at the same time, and you compare what the Braves got uh, to what the Phillies got. Uh, yeah. This was the Liberty Bell Phillies podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, we are we're all over the place so far tonight. Uh Jeremy, get get us back on the road, man. You got to you got to help drive the bus, bro. All right, so you said you said that uh you feel like the Royals haven't been well run, but a lot of Royals fans including Jacob and myself are kind of excited about the way they've approached free agency this year. Does Zips bear that out? Does that seem like maybe they're turning a corner at all to you? I, I think the fundamental problem with the Royals is they've they've done a lot of they've made a lot of signings that make sense, but they make sense for a better team, uh, I think, is where they are. This is a team. See, I don't really rag on teams when they're not spending a lot when they're rebuilding, because I think you want to save your ammunition. But I don't think that the signings they made are what you when you've put that 80 win team in house together, those are the kinds of signings you make to put yourself over the top. You don't make those kinds of signings to turn a 70 win team into a 75 win team. Now, of course the AL central, there's a lower, let's just say there's a lower threshold for making the playoffs uh, by winning the, the division. And it's the, the Royals will project with, you know, a legitimate, low single digit percentage chance of making the playoffs, but it wouldn't be the craziest thing ever. Uh, I just think that necessarily some of these signings have been the right, the right signings at the wrong time. Uh, I think they should have, if, if you want to be the Roy, uh, the Rays uh, or, or a team that continually competes on a lower budget, and you have to be kind of merciless in a lot of ways, and they need to have the sheer focus on putting that foundation together. And I don't think that foundation is there. So just throwing on top players on top of that, I, I don't think that's necessarily going to get them where they want to go. Um, it's just not the most efficient way, and it's it's hard to 
rag too hard on them for this because they're trying. I just don't think they're really going to see the gains that they hope to get from it. That's that's totally reasonable. Um, I think that even even our optimism is uh, a little. What's the word I'm looking for, Jacob? Tempered. Uh, tempered. Yeah. That, that's there yeah. You go. You, there you go, Dan. Zim Zimborski's got my mind read here. Uh, so we're excited, but it's like, hey, maybe they won't lose a hundred games. That would be that would be nice. Um, <laughs> we're, we're we have a low bar to clear, just like the AL Central. <laughs> I I was curious. Um, I'm kind of going all over the place now uh, because I you know refer to my questions and then don't want to refer to my questions and want to be more organic. But that's just how it is, I guess. Let's have a um, conversation. I. I was curious, have a, have teams ever contacted you and, and tried to get you to work in their front office? Have the Royals ever contacted you and tried to get you <laughs> well, to work I, in their front office? I, I can't say any specific teams just oh. for, oh. yeah, I, one of the things, anything I talk about is off record, uh, uh, uh with, with teams and I, and if I, I, I can't say specifically, I have talked with teams about that. I just don't think it's the best fit for me. Uh, I sell a lot of data to teams. I sell data to teams. I sell data to player agents. I sell data to sports books. Uh, I don't offer offer advisory opinions, though, and I think that that may put me in a real conflict of interest if I'm expressing opinions on things. It's basically, can you give? Can you sell us this data? Uh, sure, and I'll say this sell this costs Y percentage. I'll hit Y dollars. I'll I'll hit the button, send it to you, uh, without any commentary on what i give uh i just don't know if i don't think personally i'm temperamentally suited to work for a front office full-time it's one thing to to sell data it doesn't require but i don't want to move i don't want to drive into an office every day um i don't want to give up the writing part uh, a lot of people who are kind of in the saver metrics and analytics a lot of them seek the see them almost slumping not slumping slumming it as writers in the hopes of landing the front office job but for me a big part of why i like what i do is i like writing i like communicating i like interacting with with with, with people with people who read me people who hate me uh <laughs> th that's a lot of fun and i like being able to talk about other teams and i like being able to have all my work product be belong to me uh, when I work for ESPN, everything, everything zips belong to me. Fangraphs doesn't own a piece of zips. That all belongs to me. Uh, and that's, that's kind of how I'm the most comfortable. Uh, and the, the fact is, I don't know if I would be a good fit temperamentally, uh, because I have a little, I don't do well with authority, uh, <laughs> as it comes down. I, I, that part of that is my upbringing where I was kind of raised to have, disdain for anyone trying to tell me something to do uh, <laughs> i because i come from a whole family of people who had that kind of difficulty with authority i i just i just like what i do better than working for a team uh so in the end unless a team offered me so much in which it would be an objectively poor idea for them <laughs> i i don't see myself moving anywhere, but I'll never say never. Uh, yeah. Jeff Sullivan was someone who said he would never work for a team until a team gave him a spin on a, on the job that made him change his mind. So I don't want to say, Oh, I'll never work for a team, but I like what I do. I like where I am. I'm, I'm 45. I'm, I'm probably past the halfway point. Uh, I got my hall of fame vote in two years and I'd, I'd like to have that one. I don't want to, yeah. I don't want to take a job that makes me lose that, like after year nine of being in the baseball writers association. <laughs> sure. That would be, that'd be very poor planning. I have to. I need. I need people to get mad at my Hall of Fame ballot when yeah, I don't vote I for slam dunks. And people are going to be mad because, as I've talked about, I do not prioritize voting for players who are slam dunk near hundred percent candidates. 
Game day internship with the Omaha Storm Chasers is the perfect opportunity for a college student interested in exploring a career in the sports industry. Storm Chasers interns have the chance to work in almost every aspect of game day and event operations at Warner Park while gaining knowledge about the inner workings of minor league baseball. There's no better way to learn and grow while discovering your passions and goals than becoming a part of our Chasers family. To learn more about internship opportunities with the Storm Chasers, head to omahastormchasers.com or email Ania Tate, A-N-I-Y-A-T, at omahastormchasers.com. Everyone get on your face, turn up the storm, we're family. Uh, Prioritize some of those fringe guys, Dan? Yeah, it's it's very fortunate for me that I wasn't that I wasn't a voter uh, b- before Derek Jeter's election because I would have been one, of, I would have been the second vote not because he easily <laughs> got in. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Sure. Since I also believe ethically that all votes should be public, I'd be public about it. And then I could never go to New York again. And <laughs> I, I do enjoy going there from time to time. So I was fortunate not to have to do that. That's that's a good point, Dan. Hey, I got two off the wall questions for you. First, are you a, are you a small hall or a big hall guy? I guess in a perfect world, I'd be a small hall guy, but okay. I'm a hall as it currently exists guy. And yeah. If X level of player gets into the Hall of Fame for the last 90 years, then X type player should still get in the Hall of Fame because I don't think an honor stays an honor if it's kind of arbitrary what level of honor it represents. Uh, I, I that, It's a weird way of putting it, but I, I, uh, you're, I mean, it's it's really not fair to to a ball player to like move the goalposts on them in a sense is that what you're saying dan yeah i mean it's it's weird to tell pitches you know jack morris is in the hall of fame but you can't be even though you're a lot better than jack morris uh to keep it (laughs) royals uh centric one thing i noted when jack morris was a was a terrible candidate for a long time that basically the difference between kevin apier and Jack Morris is if Apier came back and pitched horribly for five years, like an ERA of like six and a half, then he would match Morris's inning pitches and Oof, innings dang. pitched and ERA plus. Uh, I mean, Jack Morris is Kevin Apier plus a whole bunch of the worst seasons in baseball history. Uh, and I don't think it's fair for players to be held to significantly higher standards than they used to. People have this idea that the Hall of Fame is getting cheaper, and that is complete, absolute bollocks. Uh, you look at like some of the years in the 30s, uh, there was even a year, I think it was 1939, I don't remember offhand, in which more than 25% of plate appearances by position players were future Hall of Famers. Oh my gosh. Uh, and a lot of those 30s and early 40s you the the percentage of plate appearances by Hall of Famers position player wise was over twenty percent, and through wow. history it's generally been steady at twelve to fifteen percent. So then you drop to today and you look at like the nineties and the eighties and you have kind of it being between like seven and ten percent. It's not that the Hall of Fames are becoming more selective. I mean less selective. It's becoming a lot more selective. Uh, because people kind of have this idea that Babe Ruth is the average Hall of Famer. And <laughs> that's really not the case. It's more like, you know, Eddie Murray is an average first base Hall of Famer or George Kell. Those are kind of the the ordinary Hall of Famers. Uh, and I, I, I think that we should honor players consistently or we should start kicking players out. Uh, and I prefer to honor more players than kind of tell you know tommy mccarthy's shade you know you actually weren't that good uh so we're just gonna kind of kick you out and we're not putting you in the hall of very good either uh we're putting you in the david de jesus uh hall dang okay all right that's a whole separate hall i'm trying to think of where that hall would even be at i think it'd be somewhere i I didn't mean to be mean to david de jesus but he's kind of the first royal outfielder of (laughs) that level i thought of yeah no, I I completely understand that, and I I appreciate the your backing or your reason, excuse me, for the small hall versus big hall, because I know that's a that's going to be an ongoing debate for for years. Um, for forever. And I don't think I don't think that there is a, a a right answer either way. I can kind of understand both ideas. 
Um, but in that in that vein, can I ask about Carlos Beltran? Because if if you had a ballot, would you? Be oh, he'd be an easy. Him? Yeah, that's not even close. Well, I know the I know the the Houston stuff kind of affected his first go on the ballot, so I I didn't know if you uh if you understood that point of view or shared it possibly. Well, I well, I it, it's it's let's just say it's 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 a little complex. Yeah, uh, yeah. The, uh, the the character clause is not that clear cut, no, uh, and no. the thing is, while if if he were, uh, it. it if he were a borderline candidate, I would consider it a fair objection to him. Uh, I don't consider it's it's kind of the same with steroid use post two thousand four. I don't consider it. Some writers consider it kind of a magic red switch that you do that you're out. I tend to think of it as more of a shading in which I would use those kind of things to not vote for a borderline candidate. Uh, for example, if Andy Pettit had been busted post 2004 that would actually be enough i think to make him a no for me for sure right now he's kind of on the border uh for me okay. along with with mark burley uh but in the case of beltron i think he's so far over the line that giving him a demerit for his association with uh the the sign stealing the trash can banging uh i don't <laughs> i don't consider that as big a deal and uh i I also tend to believe that these things were a little more widespread around baseball than is commonly known. Uh, I think a lot, I think a lot of teams were kind of pushing the envelope a bit, given inconsistent messaging about technology and, and this in baseball. Uh, and of course we've seen it with, with the, uh, the Astros most notably, but you know, you have the issue with the Red Sox where they kind of all just threw kind of, a mid-level employee under the bus. Uh, there have been all sorts of whispers about it. And it's it's good to enforce these things and have a clear rules set out. Uh, but I don't kind of think it's the end of the world. I mostly just like to make trash can jokes. <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're easy. They're easy. Yeah, I, have a, trash cans. Uh, I have a T-shirt I made myself for the Astros, uh, which if you've played Legend of Zelda, the original one, uh, hopefully we'll get some nods. Yes, uh, when yes. when you start off the quest, you're saying here take the sword in that little room with the guy. Right. I, I replaced it with a, a digital trash can, and said pictures are hard. Take this, <laughs> uh, and I had that as a t-shirt that I wear once in a while. Oh, I love uh, it. So I like I like the jokes. I don't really get that much rage about these things, but I do like making jokes about them, and that's kind of my uh, modus operandi in a way. I like. I like to amuse myself. Uh, yeah. I guess a lot of things are for the purpose of amusing myself. Like probably, probably ninety percent of the AI photos I do on Twitter are mostly me amusing myself. Mm-hmm. Just to see I, how, how amuse crazy me it's too. Yeah, yeah. Hey. I, I, I'm never quite sure how people feel about them. Uh, I think there's general annoyance and people put up with them because of the projection stuff that they find useful. Uh, you're 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 never gonna make everyone happy, Dan. That's no, there. I just got to tell you that there's there was a I think you did the Republican convention as a as a as a spaghetti feast or something like that. Yeah, what? I I love. Sp I think I, about that every day. I love I love spaghetti AIs. I love AIs of people eating spaghetti messily. <laughs> All right, that's, I, that's I've talked about random. this. Spaghetti is the great equalizer of humanity. Because when you eat spaghetti with a very thick sauce on it, no matter who you are, whether you are a a a, a person who's you know living on the street and eating at a, a, a food donation society, or you're the Queen of England, when you, anyone eats spaghetti, you are about ten seconds for a disaster that's going to ruin your day. <laughs> yeah. It is. I, I never thought about it being the great equalizer. I kind of think of like chicken wings. I mean, so, well, I mean some well. people say death is the great equalizer because the one <laughs> thing we all share in common. But yeah. spaghetti is less macabre than that. Very much so. A little bit. It's what? still red and and just like, you know, it, it, it could look like a crime scene. I mean, spaghetti at, at Olive Garden is pretty macabre, if, if you ask me. Uh, <laughs> 
and you know, and people try to avoid that, just like they avoid death, by you know yeah. taking the shapes that don't make as much of a mess. Uh, but if you're only eating rigatoni and penne rigate and elbow macaroni, you haven't really lived until you've been on the on the line. I'm talking, you know, spaghetti, fettuccine, linguine, tagliatelle. I'm a I'm an angel hair stand over here. Oh, yeah. Look at you. you have to you have to have some risk in your eating. And those pastas have an additional risk that you have to take to eat them so that you eating them successfully is a victory. I love it. I love it. Dan, I got I got one more off the wall question before I pass it back off to Jeremy. Um, you were you were talking about who you sell some of your your data to. And my ears kind of perked up when you said sports books, because that's that's something that people are following a little bit more closely as sports betting becomes more uh, accessible and legal across the United States. I'm curious, have you read a, a book called Trading Bases by Joe Petta? I have it. The name is familiar. Okay. Uh, my my interest in gambling, I, I, I you know, I do a little bit, of course, mm -hmm. Uh I had to be careful, though, like, for instance, I don't I don't bet on NL awards anymore uh, because I almost had a really awkward situation because I had bet 200 on on Christian Yelich to be the MVP that year, the yeah. year that, that breakout season. And uh, then I then I realized that I might be called to vote on it, which would be a huge ethical issue. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That I so I'd have to turn down the vote. So I don't I don't vote on NL, NL awards anymore. Uh, okay. I I I'm not kind of a gambling personality. Uh, I I like to eke out small bits of money here and there. Uh, I mean, I'm I'm the guy that doesn't dream of you know playing no limit hold'em in the World Series of Poker. I like <laughs> you know eking out small sums playing limit poker or limit Omaha or, or things like that. Uh, that's just little. that's just how I am, and I I personally prefer selling data to entities than gambling on the data. Wow, when, when possible. Okay. Do Do you know how they how they use that data? I ask as little information about okay. that kind of All thing right. as possible. <laughs> All right. Even for teams and players, uh, it's it's because I am a writer, and it's best for everyone uh, if you just take the data and you do what you want with it. It's uh, it's like when you sell like a, a like if you're like a knife salesman or however they. However, the kids buy knives today. You don't necessarily want to know what's going to be done with the knives. Uh, just and, and zips is yeah. not that dangerous. Uh, I gotcha. No one's going to call for regulation of zips. I don't think that'd be a very weird Royals fans. A might. very, yeah. a very weird. Maybe, maybe Royals fans and Rockets. <laughs> it's, uh, it, it's just easier that way because I, I won't sign any non-disclosure agreements. So anything you tell me, I'm going to use if we don't. If you tell me, uh, yeah, because it's hard to completely be unaware of knowledge. Yeah. Uh, and of course, yeah. it, you end up having some weird, fun things like one of my highlights. I can't say the player. One of my professional highlights personally was when uh, both a team and a player, a player's agent bought the exact same data from me about the player. <laughs> and then they negotiated the exact contract I projected. So I was like, yeah. I was. Wow. I made this happen. That's, That's awesome. really cool. Uh, I mean, I didn't really make it happen, but it was. It was. It was very pleasing. No, I you, mean, you, it, you it. were closer to make it happening than when I feel like I made a win happen because I wore my hat sideways <laughs> or something, right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I, I'm sadly reached the age where I can only wear hats straight up. <laughs> See, in my 20s, I could wear my baseball cap backwards. Uh, I can't do that at 45. <laughs> Just uh, just doesn't fit anymore, right, Dan? Doesn't doesn't fit the vibe. Yeah, I. I it's not that I'm mature. It's just too old. <laughs> okay. Hey, Jeremy. I'm sorry. I got one more book question for Dan. Go before for it. I forget about it. Dan, you know the book. The only rule is it has to work. You yeah. read that one? Yes, I do. I. What, what What do you think about that? Like, what were you? You were you were in the industry for a long time when that story happened and came out afterwards. What were your thoughts on that real world exercise? I, I thought it was a lot of fun. Uh, it was almost like a, a Gonzo-esque experiment more than anything uh, <laughs> that, that, that they were working with. Yeah. Uh, 
no that 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 was a a a a whole lot of fun uh uh unless there's some sort of dark reference in it that i'm not catching up right now no like no. it's like oh you're oh, serious it's like, oh, don't, you didn't read the chapter where Ben Lindbergh murdered someone? Like, oh, oh, I must have missed that one. Uh, but, oh my god, I, I just, I just wanted to ask you, Dan. Sorry, back, back to you, Jeremy. Get us back on the road. I'm getting us off. I, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm ready to just take us even further. Honestly, <laughs> oh my gosh, um, because I'm, 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 I've been chomping at the bit this whole time. Everybody who listens to this podcast knows that I am a huge gamer and that I love the trails series but what you may not know is that mr dan zamborski loves it i think at least as much as i do um so dan just 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 evangelize about the trails series for us (laughs) for a minute because i i need someone someone else's words here well the thing is see i like epics i like big long storylines and the 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 trails series the kaseki series depending on where you come from it it's it's a shared world. I like world be world building, and I like big, long, sweeping arcs. Uh, that's that's kind of why I like Game of Thrones, the books, uh, the Song of Ice and Fire series. Uh, when it seemed to actually be written, uh, it not not so much anymore. Uh, but the Trails games are fun because you essentially have, uh, let's see, uh, three plus two. You have. You know, 11, 12, depending on what you count, games that are all kind of the, sh- the same overarching storyline. And there's and I love the details in in these games. Uh, I love that you have little storylines that are not even important from like NPCs. Uh, like you can see NPCs in the first Trails in the Sky game being married in the second and be visiting Crossbell in the fifth and. I, I'm a sucker for that kind of thing, and I'm a sucker really for for JRPGs in general. So it's uh, right up my alley, and I I tend to enjoy um, the the soundtracks, the the scores in so the good. Trail series as much as a lot of the Final Fantasy uh, series, uh, which, also I, which I've also played all through. Yeah. I mean, I I played uh, you know Final Fantasy V back before it was translated. Uh, before the fan translation in the 90s, I played it on emulator in Japanese without knowing anything that was going on. I <laughs> I played uh, during the COVID year. I played through the Japanese Cold Steel 4 uh, because this was at the start of the pandemic and I wasn't quite sure what was going to happen. So I figured I might want to try to get some closure. And I uh, also played through that without knowing Japanese. I wish I knew <laughs> Japanese. This would make some of these things a lot easier. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> I, I'm I'm a huge JRPG player too, and I'm always thinking, man, if I just knew Japanese, think about all the games I could play that I can't play, or, or you know, w- what order I could do things in, or all this stuff. It's better than it used to be. Uh, now, Falcom kind of translates things rather slowly. Um, yeah, because they have a smaller company and they just want to be cruel to me. Uh, but it, it was worse for RPGs kind of in the 80s and 90s when you talk about the Super Nintendo and in late Nintendo RPGs, in which very little teams seemed to get over. So, like, every series had, like, half of it not be in the United States. And, of course, it was the same with Final Fantasy because the original 2, 3, and 5 were not in the United States. Right. Uh, I mean, we didn't even, we even get the real Mario Brothers, too. Uh, right. True. They, I they were watching yeah. a video about that recently. They were Crazy. Le- yeah, because they released it later as part of the the uh, super that Mario re-released the Lost Levels they called it, uh, and of course Super Mario Two wasn't even a Super Mario game. It was just kind of a game called Doki Doki Panic that they just threw in some new characters on top to make it uh, Mario related, uh, and that's what it was like. Uh, they didn't really seem to think that it would sell in the United States, even with it being a much bigger market. And I was always sad because you'd always see these games and you couldn't get them. And I mean, in 1992, I was 14. I had zero access to import games from Japan and somehow play them. So they, they were just like forbidden fruit. Uh, but it was it's a lot better now. Uh, and even with Falcom games, you can find translations. I played 
through the Crossbell games the first time with a fan translation. Uh, also, uh, Kuro no Kaseki, I guess Trails of Dawn is is what they call it now. I played through that with a translation. Uh, Cold Steel 4, of course, I did with a translation. Uh, well, that I referenced, just the general spreadsheet. Uh, <laughs> so it's it's much better nowadays, I think, overall. Oh, yeah. I I got very lucky. I got into Cold Steel um 2022 was the first time I played Trails of Cold Steel. And so that was right before they were coming out with the Crossbell games. Um, and I don't have the the willpower to, to go the translation route. And I pretty much only play on console. So emulation's not really mm-hmm. in an option for me. So I was very fortunate that it's like, oh, by the way, these two games that have not been available in English are finally going to be available in English. Um, so yeah, I, I definitely get you on that. Um, I was going to say something else and then it escaped my brain. It happens. It happens, Jeremy. To the best of us. <laughs> the, the translations, uh, they actually, because the late translations of the Crossbell games were done by Geofront and they actually used mm-hmm. a lot of the Geofront translation for the official translation. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. I, I, I've, it's always cool to see like when the fan translations get kind of uh, respected like that and they're like, okay, yeah, we'll, we'll deal with you. And, and you, I mean, it saves them work and, and people <laughs> who's had a lot of passion get, you know, some credit for it and some, hopefully some money. Um. <laughs> now, Kevin Goldstein's also uh, a trails player. He's played through most of the games. Oh, uh, okay. As you guys know, Kevin Goldstein. Yeah. Uh, I know the name. So, I mean, I've always so I've always been a big gamer. I got an Atari when I was four, then I got a Nintendo when I was eight, and then I, I I mean I don't get every console anymore. Uh, that kind of died off in the '90s. Like I did not, I did not have the desire or the parents willing enough to spend that much uh, for like a 3DO, uh, which fell apart pretty quickly anyway. But uh, and it was a lot of what I really enjoyed doing is I loved when I was at ESPN that I got to write on the esports side for a few years. That was a lot of fun. I. Oh. Oh. I covered some Hearthstone tournaments. I covered some Overwatch. I, I got to I got to release a couple Hearthstone cards, which was fun. Uh, but I would yeah, I, I'd love I'd love to do game writing again. Uh, it just hasn't really worked out that way. Yeah, I, it's I for before I got into baseball writing, I was trying to to find my way into game writing, and it's uh it's a lot tougher than. Uh, to even get like a blog level kind of writing gig as a video game writer than as a sports writer, even it seems. And uh, the the other problem is I'm probably be like the oldest person in the. (laughs) (laughs) It's not that much older than me, Dan. But but when I'm like in a Twitch stream or I'm on Discord, I am the old man now. And the thing is, when I broke into Sabermetrics, I was like one of the young guys. It was uh, Dave Cameron and I who were like the really young guys because we were still teenagers. Uh, Dave's like, think two years younger than me uh but we're not the young guys anymore now we can now like you some of the college students who asked me for advice i mean i could have been like their dad really easily and uh i i i i still am amazed that someone my age can be trusted with a child because i i certainly could not be trusted to care for a human being that doesn't have a source of income on their own uh but i've you know, I've I've grown old in this career, and that's kind of depressing in a way. <laughs> Better than the alternative. Yeah, not yeah, yeah it is. Okay, before we move on, I do want to ask, do you have a favorite sub-series in the Trails Kiseki series? Oh, that is, that's hard. I think on some levels, Crossbell's my favorite, just because I like how the city is a character, essentially, yeah. in it more than it is in and sky and and cold steel i mean i love those games but in cold steel you don't have the same attachment to kind of areas uh and the game kind of builds up crossbell as a more meaningful place Uh, like like in cold steel there's places you visit but they kind of change from game to game and you don't get to see them that often again like you saw like keldic and legram in the first few but then you didn't see him in at the end or actually you did see legram but uh you see you didn't I'm, I I don't think anyone really cares about the individual places in, in Cold Steel that weren't <laughs> in the later games. I know you do. Uh, but uh, 
Crossbell was was pretty consistent. Uh, and I think Crossbell was kind of when they hit their stride story wise, mm-hmm. uh, like the the uh, the trails of trails of trails in trails in the sky. That's you no know, terrific series. But there's the first game is a slow burner. Yeah, it doesn't really take off for a while. The third game is is fun in kind of a meta way, uh, but it's kind of like a, a Gaiden game, not really a, yeah. a full storyline. Even though Kevin and, and Riez are a lot of fun, um, I guess I guess fun isn't the right, but they they were compelling characters. Yes. Uh, so I think Crossbell is kind of where they hit like their biggest stride, and I I think that the current sub series kind of has that potential too. Um, now you haven't played it, so I don't want to spoil anything about current yeah. Kaseki Trails in the Dawn, but <laughs> it was a it they really got right into the storyline. There wasn't a lot of fetch quest type things that overrode everything. Yeah, I I'm I'm working on it. I promise I am. I just I gotta I got a little burned out, so I gotta take a little break, but I, I'm gonna get back to it. Um I Trails in the Sky is still, I think, my favorite just because Estelle is my favorite protagonist of any game I've ever played. Estelle's tons of fun. Now, so you're, you stopped at the end of Cold Steel 2. Yeah. Okay. It's not actually the worst place to to stop off simply because there's, there's a, a full break. year and full yeah. year, year and a half between the events. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to getting back to it. I just, there's so many games to play. Yeah, you will go back I, to yeah, there's a lot more Crossbell in 3 and 4. You'll see, you'll see a oh, ton okay. of Crossbell. I'm not, yeah, that, not, not going to spoil any plot things, but you'll, you'll, you'll see most of the old gang again. Oh, that's cool. I'm looking forward to it. All right. Um, so I guess it's probably about time to wrap it up as Jacob is, is looking at me like, what are you doing? Uh, so <laughs> we like to do uh, Royals Review reviews here where we just kind of talk about uh you know things that we're watching reading whatever uh and throw them out there um so like i said i i usually throw out some video games uh i've been throwing out a lot of uh marvel's midnight suns for the last week and a half oh thank uh, jeremy god <laughs> yeah i i just got that in a humble bundle i i still haven't played it uh, oh you've got to play it and then you've got to tell me what you think about it because i am obsessed with this game it is just it's so flawed and so full of bugs but so good <laughs> underneath that and i want a sequel where they can like clean up all that stuff yeah, I guess I guess for me, I mean, I don't think I've really been playing anything new for the last month because it's it's just been busy with holidays and zips and stuff. Sure. Uh, and I'm still playing a lot of MLB The Show. Uh, usually I kind of move on at the end of the year, but uh, I've I've been going back to play the ones I hadn't played because I didn't have a PS5 until earlier this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm actually doing a lot of MLB The Show 21 and 22 also. <laughs> uh, How were the... I, I've been playing 23 and I've talked to you about MLB the show 23. Um, how are the, the, the diamond dynasties in those? Is it similar to it's 23? Very similar. I, I love that same experience. I went back to 19 and I'm like, this is not the same thing. Yeah. 2022. I mean, 21 is where it kind come kind of modern uh, okay. with, with the same kind of experience. Uh, some some of the moments were a little trickier. Uh, there's a lot where you had to get eight total bases in a game. Oof, which is brutal. They've, they've, they've made him a bit easier now, uh, but uh, you definitely feel a reward. And there was kind of a different cadence because they weren't in the same season format hmm, gotcha. as it was now. And so players generally had lower ratings in April and you get better cards as the year went on. Yeah. Uh, so like all your cards, when you start off all like the top cards in April for MLB, the show 21 were like 88, 89, 90 ratings. Uh, and then as the season went on, they introduced you know, the the power creep, and they kind of tried to change that up this recently by having the individual seasons, so that they can encourage turnover of rosters just by teams becoming cards becoming unavailable. Gotcha. Uh, yeah, right. So you saw ninety nines in April, uh, which you didn't in twenty one. Gotcha. Okay, that's cool. I'll have to I'll have to check that out. And I'm still market manipulating too, or maybe not manipulating, but I, I love I love making stubs. Uh, the the currency in MLB the show for anyone who's not yeah. into that. Um, I I like to buy and sell some uh, player arbitrage. 
Uh, I actually have the maximum stubs in in 2022. I did not realize that there was an overflow at 5 million. You can't have more than 5 million stubs. Uh, So I actually lost like 500,000 because I was selling a bunch of stuff. I'm like, oh, God. It's like I didn't get more money. Where's my five hundred thousand? I mean, I I sold Nolan Ryan. <laughs> yeah, I you you helped me so much with that, and and really kept me in MLB The Show twenty three because I before I started talking to you about that, I was I was getting frustrated at like some of the players I couldn't get. Yeah, and now then, you can get anyone. Yeah, I, got, <laughs> I I immediately got the the like Ellie Dela Cruz cycle, uh, which was just a really cool card. <laughs> Um, really cool story, and and I've basically got all the cards that I care about now. So I, I'm not yeah, that makes it fun. The market myself, but uh, it's really one of the things that's cool, and I you, is that you can still do that in 21, 22, and this year, and and go back and get all of those cards still. Yeah, and P, and the, and the market is still relatively active, especially in twenty twenty two. Uh, in fact, since less people are really playing arbitrage in the old ones, it's actually more profitable in a way than the current game. Huh. That's interesting Good to know. I'll have to keep that in mind when I go back to it. Um, but let's, let's go ahead and do our, uh, Royals review reviews, I guess. Do you want to go ahead and kick us off, Jacob? Yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'll go and kick us off and I'll, uh, I will stick with, uh, with the video game thread Ooh. and I want to review. So the, the battle Royale shooter that I play is apex legends by, mm-hmm. by EA. Um, it's a good little blend on the on the hero shooter and battle royale. I enjoy it. It's a nice it's a nice way to kind of unplug mentally and just play a game. Um, but they just started a crossover event with Final Fantasy VII Rebirth coming out. So like they have a whole bunch of cosmetics and they have some game modes that feature elements of the Final Fantasy franchise, which it it is a very odd crossover. I will say that I haven't gotten quite used to it. What what I am gonna review, I guess, is more of the expanding prices of video game microtransactions. I will say. Um, so it's a weird review. All right. Yeah. I'm here. I, so I I picked this one because the big cosmetic that they have is they have a Buster Sword. Like you can you can buy a Buster Sword and you like when you're running around the map, you'll just see a Buster Sword bouncing along with you. And it's, it's pretty cool, but you have to buy all these other things ahead of it to unlock that. And it comes out to like $325 for this Buster Sword. Yeah. And it I'd want is, a, I mean, I'd want a real Buster Sword that you yeah, can have on someone's head for Thanks. Exactly. And it is. Listen, I'm and I, it's it's I, just a cosmetic. It doesn't actually do anything right in in this game mode that they're doing. Um, it does it does do something like you can you can block attacks and and things like that to reduce damage but after i don't think it will after this crossover event and it only runs until january 30th um and i don't know it's more of the oh back in my day we didn't have transactions and you just bought the game and you unlocked everything and it was all right there i I, I think it's I think it's a little too much of the modern gaming industry leaning forward on trying to generate revenue. I understand Apex Legends is a free to play game. I do want to say that, um, but it was already setting records for for revenue, and them doing this is only going to push that bar up. So, I'm not not too happy to see that. But if folks got the money, then then they can spend it. Jeremy, back to you on reviews. Uh, so other than Marvel's Midnight Suns, I do want to go ahead and shout out the new, uh, still running actually, I believe, Percy Jackson oh, yeah. uh, series on Disney Plus based on the popular young adult novel series, which I adored when I read it uh, when I was a young adult, which was not that long ago, I don't think. Um, but this is the second attempt at adapting it for the screen. The movies were uh, the first movie wasn't terrible. The second movie was bad. Um, so I'm nice. I'm, I'm glad to see them taking another stab at it. I can't, I don't remember the books as well. So I can't be like, oh, the, you, they changed this and they didn't change that and blah, blah, blah. But I'm enjoying it. I'm having a good time. I'm I'm looking forward to watching it. I, the, the They went with a younger cast this time, which is probably pretty smart. It's more authentic to the books. And they're they're good. Like a lot of times when you get a younger cast, you can, you can, 
you know, justifiably kind of lose some acting chops, but uh, I, they've done pretty good. I think I've, I'm really enjoying it and I'm looking forward to watching more of it. Um, and so that, that's going to take us to you, Dan, you got a, you got a Royals review review for us. Ah, I don't see. I'm thinking of, I guess, new stuff wise. I haven't really played that much new stuff wise. And then we talked okay. about the little, I've been, I've been playing a lot of MLB, the show I've been, uh, finishing up a lot of stuff on final fantasy 14 uh since there's a new expansion coming out which i will be right. playing when it comes out uh nice. I'll, i can have i if we talk next year maybe i can review that <laughs> uh I, I i i am a sucker for crossover events in final fantasy 14 uh because uh, there was a final fantasy 7 one there was the final fantasy tactics one where they basically uh tied up the loose ends from Final Fantasy Tactics, which isn't, oh, wow. you don't usually see, okay. you know, a 30-year-old game get the get the loose ends wrapped up. Um, so, sure so I've been playing a lot of, like, previous games. I I did a, not too long ago, I, I played through Trails again because I had the fan translation of the second of the, of the modern game, the, the Kuro no Kaseki Crimson Sin, uh, and I like to go through that. Plus, the official release of Trails into Reverie came out, and I wanted to play that without it being translated. <laughs> uh, because, you know, you get the voice acting. It's very confusing right. when they're speaking yeah. a language that you don't know. Um, so I, I I, haven't done a lot of new media. I mean, I'm finally watching Homeland on on, on Hulu, which I never really got around to uh, uh, in HBO. Uh, but I don't think I have a good new thing review. Uh, that's okay. Yeah, I mean, old stuff is good too. Yeah. Uh, what? Tell me, give me this then. What's your favorite Final Fantasy game? Oh, six. Six? Yeah, it's okay. gotta be six. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, I mean, I can I can hum like everybody's theme uh, like pretty easily. I love the the uh, the score for for that one. I love the oh, the leap motifs that uh, that Umatsu used. Uh, I, I like I like that style. Uh, I don't know if I really like modern Final Fantasy music as much uh 15 i don't think i really did i was i was i liked 13 more than most people but not really for the music oh, it's my favorite oh what oh game music wise or uh game wise game. I, it's up there music wise too it might not be my favorite music wise but it's my favorite game uh yeah a lot of people are kind of sour on it though but i i i, I yeah. liked it uh and uh i think six was the well-rounded game um it was you know, you also, when you're talking about something like video games, you also, like, have memories of playing the games, which kind of change how you feel about them. So it's hard for something new to to uh, absolutely compete just, just because, you know, I relate to them differently. Like, when I got Final Fantasy VI, uh, I had reserved it at Electronics Boutique, like, three months in advance waiting for the release. Uh, it was the first place I drove to by myself with my new driver's license, Towson Town Center <laughs> on release day. Uh, and it was fun to bring it home, fire up the Super Nintendo when it's hard to compete with like memories of, of that and, and how it went. Sure, uh, yeah. and, I, and I I probably play through that game uh, once every few years. The Pixel Remaster, I really enjoyed. Uh, I got to get those. Oh, you got to get I don't it. Have them yet. No, the, they they redid the soundtracks. They they're all modernized. Uh now, I'm not one of those people who's obsessed with having the original chip tunes uh, mm -hmm. in there. I like the orchestrations. I have an absurd collection of video game music that's played by orchestras. Me too. And uh, yep. the, the, the Pixel Remasters, which I played through pretty much all, I guess, was it 2022 or last year? I don't remember what year they came out. I guess it was 2022. I don't uh, remember either. Well, they all have much better quality soundtracks. And mm -hmm. they kept the games as they were. They just pretty much fixed bugs, remastered everything. And I think the Final Fantasy VI one is now the definitive version of Final Fantasy VI for me. Uh, because, you know, you get a better score for the opera. You get, you know, the the, the, full, the, the fuller experience. It it was really nice, you know, in 1994. But we can, it, we can, we can do better with the orchestrations nowadays. Right. I... I not more than a few days passes without me thinking about that opening with the mechs walking yeah. through the snow and Tara's theme playing. It's it's just so iconic. Yeah, the, mm -hmm. the pseudo adats 
the ad yes. walkers. Yeah. <laughs> yep. We're going to destroy the 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 the, elect, the uh, power at the Hoth Rebel base. <laughs> Because it was, it's in a snowstorm. You're basically Mm -hmm. going to fight rebels. Uh, So they, and they had, you know, guys named Biggs and Wedge. Yep. Final Fantasy has always had a very strong (laughs) Star Wars connection. Yeah. I mean, they've had Biggs and Wedge like in most of the games, I think. Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't remember when they first did. Uh, It's, (sighs) I want to say since four. Yeah, we, we. Someone would have to check that. So if you're listening, you have something to look up. Yes. Yes. That, <laughs> you have that homework. Congratulations. Yes. Uh, if you're still <laughs> listening because you're here for Royals baseball, that is. <laughs> Very much agreed. Hey, thank you. Thank you for the for the review, Dan. Do do appreciate it. One more thing before we get on out of here. Where can folks find you on social media and your work? We were talking well, a lot about your social media presence, but not where to find you. Oh, well, you can find me at Fangraphs.com like every day doing something uh you can find me at d zimborski on twitter and that's if those two things you can pretty much find me and and stuff uh like like don't come to my house and yell at me that'd be really (laughs) awkward just yell at me on twitter let's not let's not uh jeremy any any last questions before we get on out of here can i come to your house and play trails with you you can play trails anyone can come yeah woo just no yelling that's the, the that's the only that's the only rule. I, guess. I mean, just don't, don't let no, just don't let the cats out. Oh yeah, no. that too. That don't want to do that. All right, everyone out there who who is still listening after after the fan, final fantasy and trails talk. Thank you, thank you so much for your support, Dan. One last time, thank you very much for joining us this evening on on the episode. Um, please go check out Dan's work on Fangraphs. I will I'll have some links to his social down in the podcast description below. So go check those out. But until next time, go Royals.